www.mediaplay.tv podcast network. I've never felt like this before. It doesn't go away. You're now My fellow Americans, good evening. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 128 for the week of August 29th, 2016. I am Mumu wearing chain smoker David T. Cole, and I'm here with mansplainy Sarah D. Bunting. Good luck of what now? Yeah, you didn't do that right. Electoral college graduate Tar Ariano. Go fighting, this shouldn't be a thing. And exposition monkey Sarah Hope. I guess that makes me deputy deputy chief of staff. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Extra Hot Great. A little bit of site business up at the top before we get into it. Number one, Extra Hot Great is now available on Stitcher if you use that. So, um, you know, have fun. Uh, not my first choice, but if you use it, there you go. Uh, correction from last week. <laughs> Well, they, they resample your, it, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, it's the AOL of podcast players. That's what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> uh, correction from last week. I mistakenly described the pen last week, the nurse pen, as being white on the bottom and blue on the top. In fact, it is white at the top and blue at the bottom. I had to correct that. Thank God. And the other last piece of site business is that <laughs> Extra Hot Great will be off next week in celebration of Labor Day. And uh, so uh, get your affairs in order. Make peace with uh, your God. <laughs> All right. Uh, let us welcome our guest, first timer, Sarah Hope. Hello, Sarah. Hey. Hello, Sarah. Yay! So oh, many Sarah. Hi. <laughs> Hi. We have Sarah here because last week she kicked off her marathon diary of the West Wing. Um, on previously.tv. Uh, the object of this is she's going to try and watch all, how many seasons are there? Six or seven? Seven, right? Seven. Yeah. All seven seasons between now and election day. She uh. made an excellent start by getting through all of season one for her first installment. We will link to that in the show notes, of course. How is it possible? Tell us briefly before we get into it. How is it possible you never watched the show before? Or was it a philosophical decision? Um, I was, well, I was 12 when it premiered. All right. Um, Why did I ask? Oh I should have guessed. <laughs> um, my parents watched it though. And I remember, um, like getting yes. shooed off to bed so that they could watch their show. Aww. Um, and yeah, but I, I, and I caught bits and pieces of it. And then, you know, in, you know, grad school, I studied television history and I've seen a few episodes and, scenes here and there but um i've never watched it all the way through and this is a perfect time yeah especially since the election year that what was I'm also part of it confused about is what 12 yes. year old doesn't love political drama <laughs> <laughs> you know you would think yeah. but <laughs> uh so we're gonna go around the dial we have some um some categories that we got into and i should just say before we start out dave and i watched the first Five or six, Ish. maybe? Oh, yeah, right. The yeah. first third of the first season, probably. So a lot of this is going to be confined to that. I I did, however, jump around a little bit to other episodes that I remembered as being particularly notable. Yeah. Yes, I rewatched uh, the TWAP one, which we'll get to. I also rewatched Isaac and Ishmael, which is terrible. Um, oh, God. And The Women of Kumar from season three and the series finale, which by then Aaron Sorkin was not involved anymore. And it was still pretty good. They really, someone nailed 
his voice very well because it was still a very enjoyable episode, I thought. Um, but Dave, we both had the reaction before we started watching it. I was like, <laughs> should we watch a couple of West Wings? This was like last Thursday. Dave was like, Ugh. I was like, well, we have to watch at least one for the podcast. I should say I did not dislike the show when it was. No, on. no, no. You know, like we all were ready for an idealistic view of the world that could be in 1999 yes yes but you know what it was great it was yeah i I enjoyed going back to it time heals all wounds i guess (laughs) even watered down sorkin is still very Mm sorkin-y it is very opinionated and idealistic and wonderlandy yeah i mean not wonderlandy the show but just you know it's (laughs) make-believe but uh but I was surprised. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I did like this show then, and I still like it now. Yep. I guess I'm a grown-up, and I'm better than Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. I, I had the same misgivings where I thought everything that's happened since the show was on the air, everything he's done since other than Moneyball, I've basically hated. And so I thought it was going to be like when we talked about True Detective Season 2, the premiere on the podcast earlier this... Was that this if year? If I may no. make an analogy. Yes. It's like... When you're in your teens and you got no money and you go to Olive Garden because they got the all you can eat everything and you're like, yeah, Olive Garden. Yeah. You just go there, get whatever you want. They give you food poisoning Uh and you can never go back to Olive Garden again. This is based on a true story. This analogy. This is sort of like that. You know, like you had the the newsroom food poisoning and the this and that food poisoning and you were worried that you couldn't go back to eat at the West Wing. Right. But it is diabolically watchable. Like, I could have continued to watch probably the whole rest of the season. In fact, I considered maybe when we're done with this podcast that I I may watch it again. Because it's it's very, very watchable. Sarah Sarah Bunting, what were your thoughts? Um, I... This is one of those shows that when you run a site about TV, you kind of hate it based on nothing to do with the show itself, (laughs) but its particular breed of fan... Yeah, is sufficiently off-putting and the trouble that it and Sorkin himself caused in our forums was like, I was just really put off. Um, It seemed really self-righteous and in love with itself in all the ways that I really like Sports Night, but all the ways that that was not successful in disguising disguising its uh, (laughs) self-regard. I just assumed the West Wing would be the same. And then the first episode I ever saw was Isaac and Ishmael, Ooh. and oh, I was really glad that, um, like, I felt like I was having this, like, excessive, I was five blocks away, don't tell me my life response to his response, and I was gratified that it wasn't just me, but I gave it another chance. They used to do a two-hour rerun block on Bravo, mm-hmm. like, ten years ago, Yep, and um so I just watched it straight through, like I had it on the DVR and I would like, that was my dinner time routine was like dinner in the West Wing for a long time. Um, I watched it straight through. There's some bum notes in there, but there is some like all time great compelling TV in there too. Um, I don't think it's, it hasn't aged quite as well for me as I think it seems to have aged for you guys, but the um the second season premiere is one of the most gripping hours of television ever. Yeah. I would put in the top five easily. Yeah. Um Agent Butterfield screaming blue is like, I mean, huh, the little hair stand up. So yeah, I mean 
everything that came after it makes it a little hard to forgive. It's a little hard to go back to your first Sorkin because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sports night in particular, oof, uh, like if we ever do an episode about that, like that's going to be a roof data data plan. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we should talk. Uh, we had some categories. Yeah, I'm going to change um, up we the order. Talk about. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm going to change the order so we can end on a positive in case the rest of it is really <laughs> negative. So um, I'm going to start with uh, with our guest, Sarah Hope. Tell us what you thought and based on how much you should say how much have you watched so far? Um, I so I've seen Isaac and Ishmael. Oh, okay. Um, so I've made it a little bit into season three. Okay. Um, I don't remember exactly what the last episode. I've been focusing on seasons one and two. Right. But okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Tell us what we, you would say from those first two and a bit of season three episodes. You would say is the Sorkiniest moment for you. So I actually just wrote about this in the Marathon Diary for this week. Um, the most Sorkiniest moment that I've seen so far um, was the exchange between Bartlett and Jenna Jacobs, where he goes after her on Leviticus and gay marriage and gay rights and can I sell my daughter and that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's also the first Sorkin scene that I ever saw. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> so it I might be just kind of biased on that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, it so gets into that kind of, um, both the good things and the bad things. So the really liberal, um, politics of it, which is, you know, I'm totally the, you know, exact audience for this show, um, or for Aaron Sorkin's liberalism, but, (laughs) um, it it also has that kind of self-righteousness that Sarah was talking about. Fair. Dave. Yeah, so, you know, the question is, which Sorkin are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, liberal Wonderland Sorkin? Are we talking about mansplaining Sorkin? <laughs> um, the moment I thought captured them both really well, and it was a great moment. You're, the introduction, the first scene with, with Bartlett, where he walks in. Oh, saying, I am the Lord your God, or something about furious anger. Yeah. yeah, and then he goes on to, like, put the right-wing Bible thumper coalition that came to the White House to extract favors because of Josh's um, talk show screw up. Yep. There's a yeah. whole scene where he's, you know, he, you know, he seems to have this magnificent two minute speech all at the tip of his tongue. And it just sort of just burns this whole room to a crisp. And then he walks out. It's like, get the hell out of my White House. <laughs> and it's just like, it's everything Sorkin, right? Yeah. It's the liberalism. It's the know-it-allness. Yep. It's the uh, the tightness of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. The only thing that really was missing was was that everybody was on a chair and not walking <laughs> around. But that was definitely the earliest and one of the best Sorkin moments. Yeah, that's from the series premiere. When it comes, when he comes in and delivers that line, that biblical quote, I burst out laughing because it's so perfect. It's such the perfect intro for that character, who until that point, everyone's just been talking about because he's just driven his bike into a tree. Sarah Debunting. Um, I had a tough time deciding. Which moment was the Sorkiniest? <laughs> um, so I have an honorable mention, which is the Gilbert and Sullivan oh God. welcome to your basement office party. Yeah. Like, as and if. <clears throat> Just no. And then it's like, it's far from the last time that we'll be saddled with Gilbert and Sullivan references that mm-hmm. for, you know, straight gentlemen of government are 
not soups credible. <laughs> but I think actually the Sorkiniest moment is in the um, is in that sort of between the um, first season finale and second season. I'm not sure where it takes place, but he's taught he's like repeating that he's going to relax with some softball, with some girl softball, mm-hmm. and it's just like. It's so condescending about sports. It's so condescending about girls. It's every like, girls softball? Yes, sir. You're making fun of me, aren't you? No, sir. I felt some mock in your tone. No, sir. Like, mm-hmm. the, ugh, I don't, especially exchanges with Charlie where it's like, we, you know, we got it. Like, this isn't the Homeric campfire where you got to fucking repeat everything because it's an oral tradition. Like, we got it. <laughs> Please be sexist about a different topic because this one's cashed. So that is uh, girl softball is my pick. Mine is uh, from early in season one. It's in the cold open where the all in the senior staff plus the president are playing poker. And I'm going to say this is a positive Sorkin-y moment, but uh, Jed keeps trying to stall playing his turn by throwing out brain teasers to the group. <laughs> it's clearly like such a thing where it's just Sorkin wanting to to show off his virtuosity or his research or whatever. Um, But it's also very endearing because it does feel true to that character that Jed Bartlett is also a know-it-all and he just loves, he loves doing that kind of (laughs) shit to his staff. And it's, he's such a dad in that way. It's very endearing. So that was my pick. That's from like season episode three or four pretty early on. All right, let's move on to our next category, which is moment that aged the worst. (laughs) Sarah Hope, (laughs) tell us. Oh, I'm glad I get to go first because um, the one that I picked was the first scene of the pilot. Oh, um, so you see everyone for the first time. Sam is wrapping up his night with uh, Lori, and Leo is home fretting over some sort of crossword um, thing. And CJ's at the gym, and Toby is being grumpy at a flight attendant. And they all start getting calls and pages, which beepers for one. I could stop right there. But, um, <laughs> But, you don't have to, though. You can keep making fun <laughs> of it. I'm here for you. <laughs> um, but they're they're all getting calls about this mysterious thing called POTUS. And it's like nobody seems to know what POTUS stands for. And there's <laughs> yeah. this dramatic reveal where Sam says, it's the president of the United States. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. And <laughs> it's just become such – I feel like it's become such a common acronym now that I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't know what POTUS is. Possibly um, because so, of this, though. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea what it meant before this show came out. Hmm. I, I never heard it. I mean, granted, you know, wasn't living in America, but sure. still. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. So it worked at the time, yeah. maybe. But now it kind of sets it up and you've got beepers and you've got POTUS and it's just kind of like, oh, right. The show is old. <laughs> the other bad thing about that scene too is that in CJ's segment you said that she's at the gym she's like trying to chat up this guy that's on the treadmill next to her and she's all mm-hmm. awkward and weird and like falls off the treadmill which classic Sorkin also but like this, the premise of this scene is that she's not one of the sexiest women ever like CJ is the bomb the idea yeah. that she's yeah. gawky in any way is gross and absurd I'm gonna yeah that was it. a bad introduction for that character and also that this Narbo doesn't know who the press secretary is yeah. she's on TV many times daily and he lives there in, in Washington right yeah yeah what were you gonna say Dave and I was just gonna quickly do mine because it's piggybacking on something Sarah said the internet you know it is 1999 <laughs> 
And although we're living in the era of Alta Vista right now and not necessarily, <laughs> you know, the, you know, uh, Google was still, you know, an embryo somewhere, uh, you can still look up stuff like the Constitution yeah. <laughs> on the Internet. And the fact that nobody in the, you know, the bullpen uh, of secretaries and researchers and stuff seems to be able to um, call that up, forcing... Uh, Toby, I believe, yeah. to suggest they go on Amazon.com and order a hard copy <laughs> is actually maybe I'm going to change my answer. That is the most Sorkin moment and also the moment that didn't really work uh, today. Sarah D. Bunting. Um, this doesn't actually have anything to do with its um, like place in in time. It's like 90-ness, like turn of the millennium-ness. Um, although the references to Toby's brother being on the space shuttle Columbia. We're not my favorite. Um, it's the, well, I don't know. You know what? I like, I fucking hate the Jackal. <laughs> it, it actually hasn't aged that badly. It was always terrible, but it continues to be terrible. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's aging pretty well. It's like still consistent. Yeah. I just hate the Jackal. I don't get it. Mm, fair. Yeah. I don't get it either. Um, well, mine was, I, I originally had it in the doc when Sarah debunting added this category of moment that aged the worst as the collectively the episode called The Women of Kumar, because I remembered it as infuriating me at the time. So I went back and watched it again. And yeah, it uh, I was right. It's terrible. There's the, the premise of it. There's two storylines that are sort of progressing on parallel tracks. One is there's a UN resolution that... Uh, is about human trafficking, basically, but there's a reference in it. To the language is forced prostitution, and a bunch of women, including Amy Gardner, which whole other story, um, are uh, objecting uh. to the forced part of the phrase and want it just to be prostitution. So there's all of these arguments about, like, is prostitution in and of itself separate from sex trafficking? Is it always exploitative of women? And even at the time, like, which was like 2001, I was like, there are arguments to be made that women sometimes sex workers choose prostitution and they are exploiting men right back and oh god all of it was like so puritanical and dumb and the fact that amy as the head of a women's empowerment group like a pack basically is although i guess it wouldn't be called that at the time but whatever an advocacy group is is taking that position is gross and not feminist and wrong and then there's also this other story about cj like going off the reservation because the u.s is about to sell a bunch of arms to this very oppressive regime that they made up called kumar which is really saudi arabia and that she keeps having fights with everybody about whether they should do this until even nancy mcnally who's the head of the nsa has to be like calm it down we have to sell guns to some people and then she She's like being inappropriate in meetings, all about the suppression of women. It's it's a ter- I'm so- Sarah Hope. If you haven't gotten to this one, I hope I haven't really prejudiced you against you because there's a lot of wrong shit in it. And so that is my pick for moment that aged the worst. Moving on to favorite character, Sarah Hope. What is who is your favorite character thus far? So far, um, it's definitely Toby. Yeah, um, there there is. Is that a good hour or a bad? Yes, he's my pick too. Yeah, go go ahead here. and finish. Oh, sorry. Um, Toby is, um, I love him. And I, I think it's because there's a piece of him 
like living in my soul. Um, <laughs> he's super, I love when he gets super liberal and like has these wild fantasy ideas. Um, like after the shooting, when he wants to go after the hate groups and he like, doesn't want to care about the first amendment or the bill of rights or any of it. He's like, I just, you know, we can just forget all that. Cause we need to go after them. Um, and then he needs to kind of backpedal and, you know, find things that work. And he knows that. And it's, it's great because he's so smart. And, um, He's super cynical, um, but also optimistic. He's optimistic about the possibilities of government because that's, you know, that's why he works in government. Um, but he's cynical about people and process and um, all of it. And I kind of see him in a way, not totally, but in a way um, as like the Bernie Sanders of the West Wing. <laughs> yeah. Um, because um, just because of that crazy liberalness and um, but he's more broody and less shouty and um but yeah, I love Toby. I love every time he's on screen, especially when he's brooding over something and, um, you know, being Toby. <laughs> I love Toby. I'll, I'll just piggyback on here because I have an honorable mention too. From his first intro when the flight attendant on his on his flight is trying to tell him to turn his devices off and he like Vulcans back to her all this stuff about why he doesn't actually have to and it doesn't affect any of the devices or the instruments and she's being ridiculous and stuff. It's like such a Toby. That's him in a nutshell for me. Um, he also has a great yeah, moment. Yeah, also in- speaking of old things, there's, there's a Radio Shack reference yes. there that's pretty funny <laughs> um but he also in one of the other episodes i rewatched the u.s poet laureate he gets a great storyline because he is dispatched or volunteers to go and talk to the u.s poet laureate played by laura dern because she's getting ready to possibly make a big political statement at this dinner that's coming up and he has to go and try and talk her out of it but he also has a huge crush on her and they are so sweet together i love the two of them so excellent choice of toby i agree dave uh I, I was thinking about Toby, but um, I, I really enjoyed, as Sarah was saying, when he goes from quiet to super liberal man. <laughs> um, and the first <laughs> real taste of that for me was uh, he's t- they're talking about New York Jews in, in the same uh, ep- uh, scene I was talking about before with the uh, Bible Thumper Coalition, uh, where he starts yeah. translating their doublespeak. Um, and then he goes from trying to be peacemaker to basically just putting you know, uh, more grease on the fire. Uh, but Bartlett for me is, is, is my man. I, I just like, he's such a, at times ridiculous character because he <laughs> is so, you know, from on top on high, uh, you know, the wisdom from the Mount and all that kind of, you know, character, uh, traits, but I kind of like, it works like, you know, the, here's this liberal fantasy land. And every once in a while, I would say probably until, you know, they start the MS storyline. Yeah. Um, that's his role, right? He kind of comes in to the scene, tells everybody, you know, what the uh, the official, um, you know, capital L liberal stance is, and uh, just yeah, kind of really goes away. To, he wasn't really supposed to be in the show that much initially, no. yeah. right? Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, ordinarily, you know, if I was at a at a restaurant with somebody who was like that, I would leave. <laughs> But I'm not. I'm watching a TV show about a liberal wonderland America. And I think it works there. So Bartlett's my choice. Sarah. Sarah D. Bunting. Um, With an honorable mention to the aforementioned Nancy McNally, who, when she is called upon to go to the Situation Room after the assassination attempt, is wearing very stylish pajamas. (laughs) And is fucking awesome. Anna DeVere Smith rules. Um, I am also going to pick Toby. Love. Not least because, I mean... 
he, I feel like Sorkin can't have written him most of the time because he's so unshow offy. Like he actually is the smartest one in the room, but he doesn't feel the need to show it all the time, except when he's taking the piss out of Josh, <laughs> which he does on the reg. And thank mm-hmm. God, because talk about things that have not aged well. Ugh. Like, ew, ew. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of the credit for how great Toby is goes to Richard Schiff because he underplays so much, like way more than anyone in any Sorkin production, I feel like. He's yeah, so good. he does. Um, well, since we've already talked out Toby, I'm going to go with my honorable mention of Charlie, who every time I watch him makes my heart hurt, um, starting with his intro where he has to like very quietly tell the story or, or it gets told back to him about what happened to his mother and... He's just so sweet and upstanding and good and decent and awesome. And Zoe Bartlett doesn't deserve him, frankly. So um, <laughs> Char- Charlie is the best uh, consistently. Um, so, yeah, Char- Charlie is great. That's my pick. Um, moving on to our next category, although I feel like we've had a slight preview of it. Least favorite character, Sarah Hope, who is yours? I mean, Josh is a good, um, a good one, but... Um, I was also going to pick Mandy because I said in my first marathon diary that I really hated her. Um, but it's, it's a little too easy and I don't entirely dislike her. Like I kind of like what she stood for, but no. Um, but I'm going to pick Danny Kincannon. Oh, hmm. um, I really, I really cannot stand him. I think that he I don't care what CJ says he's using. And maybe this is, I haven't watched far enough. I don't know. Um, But he's, he's using his flirtation with CJ to get special treatment in a lot of situations. And um, I don't, it's just, there's some early scenes where he's so pushy and aggressive when he's flirting with her. And maybe CJ likes that. I mean, clearly she likes him. Um, But I, I don't know. It just rubbed me the wrong way. And um I wanted to like him because he's a journalist and he loves working for the White House, working, covering the White House. And CJ likes him and I like CJ. Um, But yeah, I just really, I think, um, I don't know, I could do without him. Fair enough. David T. Cole. Uh, Well, I will go for the easy pickings. Uh, My my tie is Josh and Mandy, uh, (laughs) separate and together. Good Uh, picks. Really just excellent. Mandy... uh, is written like she is has has one foot in Chicago. I mean, like the, the play, because uh, <laughs> the only thing that really you know makes her different from subject she doesn't talk like this, but she she's written like a nineteen twenties you know yeah 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 gangster girlfriend with moxie. Like uh, you can't tell me what to do. I quit, and like she's only missing that accent, and and it's endearing for about like a minute and you're like okay all right can you put it in another gear mandy can you put it in another gear no she can't and she doesn't until she you know disappears to what is it called mandyville yeah yeah and um josh is just insufferable i just like i i hate josh uh he treats donna like shit throughout the series and then like that was the worst coupling like come on donna like oh yeah spoiler you're you're no you're no treat but you can i think i knew that you can you can do better then Josh, uh, hey Josh, definitely my uh, my number one choice. P.S. To uh, the Mandy point in the second episode, we find out that she's set up this consulting firm with Marin Dungey from Alias, who like then she, Mandy goes and takes a job at the White House. I'm like, what happened to her? I guess she's fucked. <laughs> it was the last scene of the uh, whole series. Just a skeleton in the corner of the <laughs> warehouse. 
<laughs> with a bunch of envelopes coming into the mail slot. Rent overdue. Sarah D. Bunting. Oh, God. Um, Josh, <laughs> with an honorable mention to this is the like unpopular opinion pick, Mrs. Landingham. Oh. Aw. Bye, girl. <laughs> was was not sad when that uh, when that finally um, ended. Except that I had to sit through the legendary two cathedral speech, which I thought was overwrought and mawkish. But yeah, Josh and his backpack. Uh, Josh's backpack and his hair. The other thing is, like in the in the <clears throat> first or second episode, there's also a moment where he's in a coffee shop and like these two girls come up to him and they're all like fangirling over him. Like, really, uh, this guy uh, is the heartthrob of the administration when fucking Rob Lowe works there. And uh, yeah, Josh is my pick too. He's and I'd have sort of remembered it as like, oh, he gets more odious over time, but he's really a dick. Starting the series premiere, uh-huh. the his whole storyline in that episode is about how he flew off the handle, as we already said on this this tv interview taunting Mm -hmm. calamitous performance on capital beat i wrote it down because (laughs) that was josh in a nutshell from the get thank you toby yep uh josh is terrible and state i can i can report having watched the series finale stays that way right to the end fuck you josh all right let's end on a positive uh with our fave relationship sarah hope so um i am not far enough along to have picked a romantic relationship oh yeah it doesn't have to be Um, romantic mine's not yeah um i love cj and toby yeah um and i don't know if they end up together that i've seen some things some gifs that make me think that maybe they do um but i don't know but they just their working relationship they complement each other so well because they're both often the smartest person in the room um and they're both super cynical, but they handle it differently. CJ is kind of loud and and outwardly cynical. And like we've been saying, Toby is awesomely quiet and broody. <laughs> um, and it, they're just a perfect match. And I kind of hope that they never do end up together romantically. I, um, I, I hate when characters have great like intellectual chemistry um, and then the writers feel a need to turn it into romantic or sexual chemistry. Cause I find that often it doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. And I, I don't think it would in this situation. So I don't know. We'll see. No spoilers, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I like Bartlett and Charlie, although I feel like it could wear thin if used too much so i am going to say i enjoyed their relationship in so far that i remember it from this rewatch <laughs> yeah and brief that, though it was yeah uh i think if we went the distance i might change my answer um because you know it is sort of one notey one way for the most part at this point yeah um, but even in the episodes that we saw the moment when bartlett tells uh josh he wants him to take charlie out for drinks and he tries to give him money so cute yeah. and then he's like oh i don't have any money i don't carry money anymore or keys yeah um you know but in a show of high stakes relationships you know this one is is, is nice and, and small and uh i like it for that sarah um leo and bartlett i think because they really got, I thought, the texture of a long-term friendship and um, the way that people are with each other, like, that they're friends, but also there's this, like, you know, it's basically, like, a workplace dramedy. And so they really, like, as the show goes on, the actors also start to form that bond where they have, like, shorthands and little eye rolls with each other. And I always uh, have found that enjoyable and... um so certain things that happen later are a bummer. 
Uh, no surprise. I had the same pick as Sarah for the same reasons that watching them, especially this time, I thought, oh, this is what it would be like if one of us got elected president and the other one was the chief of staff. <laughs> First of all, it would mean the country had gone really down the shitter. No offense to either of us, but that should not happen. But I love that. Yeah, I, no. I agree. I love how Leo has to walk the line of being so deferential and respectful to Jed up to the point where he has to tell him some shit. And the, one of the episodes that we rewatched was the, the first Charlie episode when Bartlett is about to give a speech about how they're, they're getting ready to strategically bomb Syria. Syria. Thank you. And he's just being testy with everybody. He barks at Charlie when Josh has brought him in to introduce him and, and Leo has to take him out of the room and like talk him down and like tell him some shit like you can't act like this. And it's so well handled. The two of them are delightful together. And uh, yeah, excellent pick. So that's our West Wing discussion. Please go to previously.tv and follow along with Sarah Hope's um, Marathon Diary between now and Election Day. The end. What did I just say? I wasn't really listening. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really wonderful segue, Dave. And that's correct, listeners. That creepy music means that it's time for The Blotter Presents. Today, I'm talking a little bit, only a little bit, about Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, which was the TV movie based on the book by Lawrence Schiller. Basically, Larry Schiller is like the um, Zelig of... um, or the Where's Waldo of the great crimes of the 20th century. Like he's always somewhere nearby writing a book and then it's always turned into a TV movie and everyone's real, you know, hangry and chomping the scenery on the set. Uh, Perfect Murder, Perfect Town concerns the as yet unsolved kidnapping of Jean Benet Ramsey. And since there is a whole bunch of Jean Benet material, Coming out over the next couple of weeks, there's the sort of prestige miniseries that uh, CBS is doing with the folks from Real Crime Profile, which is a really good podcast if you're into true crime. Uh, And then the History Channel is also getting in on the act and trying to beat them to air with like, who killed John Bonet? Like, I'm sure it's going to be kind of a slapped up thing, but I thought, let's have a look at this movie and see if it held up. Um, The only copy that I could find had Portuguese subtitles on it. So that was sort of interesting. Yeah. Also, literally everybody is in this movie. Chris Christopherson, uh, <laughs> Anne Margaret, Ken Howard, oh, man. Uh, Deirdre Lovejoy from The Wire, Scott Cohen, <laughs> and then playing the Ramses, Ronnie Cox and Mark Helgenberger. Oh, wow. who... <clears throat> yeah. Like I have to say, like we're going to hear a clip and it's way over the top, but I, th- I think this is actually what Patsy Ramsey might have been like. No disrespect to the dead, but uh, Dave, can we, can we hear that? Oh, screech? can we? It's a lot. It's really a lot, um, but I can't. I mean, we'll we'll link to the um, version portuguese in the uh, show notes, but I can't necessarily recommend it because the fact is the case is still unsolved. If you know anything about the case, this feels sort of frustrating and slow. And even if you don't, 
the the issue with this case is that there was really a lot of conflict and um, stepping on each other's dicks between the DA's office, the DA's investigators, the cops, the FBI. Like there were a lot of jur- jurisdictional problems, which might explain why literally everyone is in this movie because like jurisdiction was constantly being handed off. And it's like, oh, here's Dennis Boutsikaris. And then the Umbuh guy from the Got Milk ads is an investigative reporter. Like, I think I'm in this movie. It's it's weird. But it's also kind of pointless. So um, I watched it so you wouldn't have to. Got a few rows of knitting done. And like, for what it is, it's pretty good. But there's there's kind of no point. So you're welcome. And tune back in in a few weeks. I will be checking in with various other Jean Benet programs and letting you know how they are. Noise. This is Extra Hot Great Micros. Today's Extra Hot Great Micro topic comes to us from Evan, who wants to know how we would rank the birthday episodes of the various Friends cast members a subsequent TV series. And since I don't assume anyone else present here would know anything about them, JK, I know they don't know anything about them. I'll take this one and count down the best birthday episodes of the Friends of Friends post Friends TV series. Number <laughs> wow. five. In very last place is the third episode of Matthew Perry's remake of The Odd Couple in which Danny gives Felix the gift of a bird, which he subsequently (laughs) sucks up with the vacuum cleaner and then tries to get out by reversing the suction, resulting in a spray of feathers. Ha ha, nothing is funnier than murdering an animal, right? Although birds, no one should have those for pets anyway. Moving on, number four. Joey had a couple of birthday plot lines in its brief time on the air, but neither was as memorable as the moment on episodes when a furious morning tries to make Matt remember their previous meeting when she blew him in her hot tub after Alan Thicke's birthday party. Number three. The seventh episode of Go On, which revolves around the first birthday of Matthew Perry's Ryan since the death of his wife, who always used to make his birthday special. In response, the other members of his support group organize a treasure hunt, which, ah, but mostly this episode is charted this high because the series starred our friend, our superstar friend, Sarah Baker. See her soon in an upcoming episode of Better Things, which we will get to shortly. Number two, the Conspiracy Theories episode of American Crime Story, colon, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Granted, David Schwimmer's Robert Kardashian wasn't directly involved in the plotline in which Martha, Marsha and Chris go to San Francisco to celebrate his friend's birthday and also flirt up a crazy storm, only to return to Los Angeles where, the Monday afterward, Chris breaks Marsha's heart by saying how relieved he is that they didn't actually cross any lines. It was great, though. Particularly, as my colleague Sarah D. Bunting noted in her write-up on the episode, Sarah Paulson letting her face fall disappointedly in the most subtle way imaginable. And in the number one slot Aww. is, collectively, all birthday episodes, including the series finale of Cougar Town, because they featured more wine than all the other above-mentioned episodes slash TV series combined. But none of the above episodes is likely to be anywhere near as festive as the joint 40th birthday celebrations of Beth and Beta or of Abby McBeth turning 36 in October. So with that, we wish a very hearty happy happy birthday, Beth and Beta and Abby. It is time to go around the dial. First stop, Tara Ariana. Since we are off next week, I thought I would watch ahead a couple of the screeners that we got for two series that are premiering on FX next week. Atlanta, which premieres uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and Better Things, which premieres 10 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Atlanta is the Donald Glover dramedy, um, and I'll talk about that first. It's, we'll have a uh, new show fact sheet from Al Lowe next week, but... Um, 
both of these are really good. Atlanta is about Ern, who is Donald Glover's character, who's sort of couch surfing. He's semi-homeless, even though he has a job. Um, he lives sometimes with his ex-girlfriend or maybe kind of still a girlfriend um, and their daughter. His parents, who are played by uh, his dad is Isaiah Whitlock Jr., um, no longer let him in the house because he's so shiftless, although there's a moment in the series premiere in which they talk about how they know he was there at some point when they weren't because he forgot to flush the toilet after pooing in it. And there's a little discussion about how they're concerned about his diet based on what they saw, which is funny. Um, His job is that he uh, tries to sell or sign people up for um, credit card memberships at the airport. And there's there's also a, a whole thing where he's he's working with this other guy who's his age, and then they're in competition with this older woman who's like the snake of signing people up for credit cards, which is very funny because they resent her. Um, but he really wants to become a rap manager to a friend of his named Paperboy. And so it's, it's just a really interesting look at what feels like a very um, specific place and time and uh, you know there's a reference in it to when some his dad asks uh one of Ern's friends like what happened to Princeton and the friend said he doesn't know like so Ern is not dumb and he's you know could be accomplished but something has happened we don't know yet what it is that has sort of caused him to go off the rails and be in this sort of in-betweeny state but like the this this segment of the population is like a very smart but still struggling um, African-American young guy is like something I feel like I haven't really seen on TV before. And it's the pilot is one of the least piloty pilots I've ever seen. So it's really good. I recommend it. Also, of equally unpiloty pilot is the pilot for Better Things, which is um, Pamela Adlon's show. She is she played Pamela on Louie and she and Louis C.K. Um, created the show together and she's they've written a lot of episodes together. And he I think he directed the pilot. Um, she plays Sam Fox, who is like Pamela Adlon herself, a former child actor who's now divorced and has three kids, three daughters. <clears throat> There's a great scene early on when she goes to a casting call and she sits down next to Constance Zimmer. And they, if you know anything about Pamela Adlong, they both look at each other and they have identical glasses on. They're like, oh, of course. Like, of course, they see each other at auditions all the time. Um, they have a little conversation about how Constance Zimmer doesn't seem maternal, which is very funny. And she's sort of playing herself. A lot of people playing themselves or versions of themselves. David Duchovny shows up in episode three as himself and a total asshole in the show that they're both working on, where he suddenly is like, I found these prayer beads in costume. I'm going to wear them from now on, okay? Um, and uh, <laughs> Lenny Kravitz is the director, but he's, you know, he's not playing, he's playing a character and not himself. And there's a really funny scene where. Um, Pamela Sam brings him home for dinner and her older like 70 plus English mother is played by Celia Imry um, is first of all horrified when she sees him because he's black and then tells an even more horrifying story at the table which after Pamela has promised him she's not like that then she is like that and he just gives her this look that's hilarious I never thought Lenny Kravitz was that good an actor um, again like like Atlanta the uh, the life of a 40 something divorced mom is uh, very lived in in this case and um, I'm very wary of ever recommending sitcoms to Sarah as she knows but I told her this morning and I am this is one that she should possibly check out if for no other reason than the constant Zimmer connection. Um, so both of these are great shows. I 100% recommend them unreservedly. I, I feel like we should maybe keep a running tally of like, <laughs> this is what Tara thinks Sarah will think of this sitcom. This is what Sarah actually thought of it. Uh, I will check it out and I will report back. Don't forget to remind me Yay. Uh, for an update. I can't wait to find out because I was right about playing house, wrong about Broad City. It's always a real 
<laughs> it's a crapshoot. Um, and for my plug, I'm going to mention <sighs> Summer's Over, guys, which means uh, this week we will be seeing the final installment of 2016 for Al Lowe's Wheel of Murder. She told us that she's holding back a real doozy. I don't know how she's going to top the sniffer about the guy who <laughs> smells crime. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. So uh, come back to Previously.tv on Friday for that last uh, Wheel of Murder of the season. Sarah Hope, what do you got? Uh, my Mad Fat Diary is not a new show and not a forthcoming show. Um, it actually aired on E4 in Britain from 2013 to 2015. Um, and there was supposed to be a U.S. remake, which I'll get to later. But um, it came to Hulu in April. And ever since then, I've basically been running around in the street telling everyone I know <laughs> to watch it. Um, it's based on the autobiographical novel, My Mad Fat Teenage Diary by um, an author named Ray Earl. Um, and it follows an overweight 16-year-old named Ray who is trying to get back to a normal life and back to her friendships and, and kind of being a, a normal teenager after spending some time in a mental hospital. Um, she has an eating disorder and depression, um, and it's narrated as if we're reading her diary. So uh, we kind of are witness to her inner monologue and all of her insecurities as she moves through the world. And we're also kind of seeing her move through the world. Um, and she struggles with friendships and trying to find a relationship. Oh, and she really, one of the main themes of the show is that she really, really, really wants to get laid. Um, and so <laughs> she's kind of always in pursuit of having sex, which is um, fantastic. And um, her mom's kind of crazy, but um it, their relationship is really interesting and um, she continues to struggle with her mental illness and it got a lot of props um, when it was on. And I've also seen a little bit since it's been in the U S um, available on Hulu uh, for the way that it portrays mental illness. It's really an interesting look. Um, they kind of flash into these moments with her that really feel like you're, you could be experiencing what she's experiencing. It's really well done. Um, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, did I mention it's funny? Uh, it's about <laughs> mental illness and depression, and it's very funny. Um, and it's smart and sweet. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like um, My So-Called Life or Skins, the British version. And um, she's Ray is played by Scottish actress Sharon Rooney, um, who is wonderful, and I hope to see her in so much more. I hope that she got nominated for a BAFTA for this performance and um, got recognized as, um, I forget exactly what it was, but it was some um, young British award from BAFTA. Um, and she's fantastic. She's so good. Um, the other great thing about this show is that it has an amazing soundtrack. It's set in the late 90s um, and she's obsessed with music. That's kind of her thing. Um, and it's kind of how she connects with people. So there's a lot of Oasis and Lemonheads and Verve, no doubt, Beastie Boys, a um, lot of really great music. Um, and there was supposed to be an American remake, but um, I've seen some speculation that the reason that didn't happen was because of music licensing issues um, oh. in the US. But hmm. it's totally fine because the British version is here and it's amazing. Um, so yeah, My Mad Fat Diary. And then for my plug, um, I'm plugging a new column over at TV Insider written by my grad school buddy, Evan Lewis. Um, it's called Binging Culture. And the column will, going forward, his, he, his first one came out a couple weeks ago, um, quote, 
regularly explore modern scripted television's successes and failures in the representation of topics from the social to the political to the professional. Hmm. Um, so in the first column, he looks at the ways that Mr. Robot, Silicon Valley, and Halt and Catch Fire are doing a really good job, better than those that came before them, at showing technology on screen as something cool and meaningful and not totally boring and just ones <laughs> and zeros and people <laughs> tapping on computers. Um so it's really smart and really well written. Written And um, to give you a taste of Evan's sense of humor, this is his bio. It reads, Evan Lewis is a straight, white, cisgender male millennial. And as such, probably shouldn't be allowed to comment on anything. <laughs> but he does watch TV sometimes. So, yeah, binging culture at TV Insider. We will link to it in the show notes. Other Sarah. Um, yeah, so the night of... Ended last night as we record this with a super jumbo 105 minute finale. Not okay. Um, yeah. I mean, basically not okay. Like if the other choice was to chop it in half and air something on Labor Day, like those fuck sucks are doing over at Bravo. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the hit now. But they could have but, started yeah. a week early and then made it nine episodes. Like that's just greedy. Well, yeah. And then they gave us, I don't like, I don't know why we didn't get a screener of this. Like I, whatever, I'm unclear um, on any of that, but I will say that that hour and a half did go by really yeah, quickly. Agree. Uh, for me, I thought that the show you're hearing a lot of sort of complaints online about the Chandra character, like that, it, you know, the, her behavior, her actions don't seem in character that it wasn't a realistic courtroom scene and this isn't how people talk to each other and there's, you know, no way a hung jury would come back that quickly. And I, I feel like those critiques, like if that's the stuff that bothers you, that's the stuff that bothers you. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't like to be that guy who's like, you're watching it wrong, but I, I think may, maybe you're watching it wrong. Like it's <laughs> it's not actually a procedural. Like if what it is, which is this like sort of weird um, pseudo realistic hybrid of a procedural and like a tone poem about what it's like to be in New York at two in the morning when you're in your twenties and just how that's like very exciting, but also super dangerous and all the sort of undercurrents, like they do keep showing you the, like the river and then the city streets from above and you just see how, you know, how there is this flow to everything. I think they do a really good job with that. There were some outstanding acting performances, the fan service with the cat. I felt mm -hmm. <laughs> wrapped up nicely. Like I yeah. think they knew that if they hadn't put the cat in the apartment at the end, like literally people would have rioted <laughs> in yep. front of HBO. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't think it was a perfect series but i would actually be okay like i wish they just wouldn't call things limited series anymore mm. because what limits but i would be okay with them jumping off with this one and doing like the only the only real issue i had with it is that more or less i knew where it was going because i saw the british one right uh criminal justice so i would love to see another season of this but like not like I've also seen series two of criminal justice. So I would like them to do something new with it or stay with these characters somehow. Um, but I, I thought it was a success overall. And you know, if this is, if it didn't work for you, it didn't, but for whatever reason, and I'm not like, 
I think it's a little strange that it worked for me, but it did work for me. Um, I have um, a comment and a, and a question. My comment is how fascinating I thought it was the way they laid out like the process of how all of Nas's family's life fell apart because of this arrest. Yeah. Like that they methodically are like, here's what happens with the cab and here's what happens with his mother's job and here's what happens with his brother. Like just uh, catastrophe upon catastrophe that they like the family obviously never considered. And then in the finale, we see that their house is for sale by owner with a swastika on it. Like nice, but you know, like it yeah. just kept, keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The catastrophizing, like the stuff I never considered even any of the million times I watched Law and Order because they never get into those details about like how the financial, all the financial tolls that it takes on you to get arrested, you know, if, whether you did it or not, like that it just doesn't stop. That even if you're acquitted, like it doesn't. Right. It's not like it resets. It's not like you get to time machine back to. Right. Like everything is cha- like ruined basically. Yeah. Financially and otherwise. Ugh, poor Nas. God, was it, that was the the worst. Like seeing the the shot of him at the very end. I mean, whatever. But it, but the other thing is, uh, my question is, how closely did it follow the criminal justice storyline? Um, pretty closely, yeah. and sort of closely in the sense of like the how it was proportioned between how much time you were spending with Nas, how much time you were spending with the attorneys, how mm. much time you were spending. Um, with the family, there was like, there was less of the family in the British version. I see. I think um, the pacing of this one was slightly more successful. That could just be because like, I understand what Rikers Island is like crown prosecutorial, um, like rules of engagement. I don't like, I'm not British. I don't know. Right. Um, So it followed it pretty closely. The end was, I mean, I'm glad they diverged from how the case was, how the case was sort of settled Got it. at the end. Got it. You did, you did get a more definitive answer as to who did it and it's not the same person. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, no, it, it was, it was pretty close and there yeah. were, I mean, close enough that I was like, this sounds familiar. Oh, right. This is a remake. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, I yield the floor. Please go to, proceed to your plug. Um, my plug is, speaking of Law and Order, um, we have rewritten some episode summaries from season 11 in our logline <laughs> feature. Uh, Law and Order S11 is up on the site. Um, you can pour one out for the late Stephen Hill while <sighs> reading those summaries and also pour one out for yourself because <laughs> Happy Leaves at the end of this season. Yeah. And speaking of logs and lines, oh, <laughs> Serena Sutherland. Um, yeah, the long winter of our acting discontent is... Um, is about to begin. So keep an eye out for season 12. And yeah, that is on our site at previously.tv in the law and order section. Check it out. Uh, I watched the lethal weapon pilot starring uh, Damon Wayans and uh, what's his name? Clay Crawford. Crawford. We, Crawford. Just to know, Mr. John Ramos. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't. Uh, this does not premiere until Wednesday, September 21st. We got a screener. So yeah, if you don't want to be spoiled, but oh, I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, I just want to say it. You know what? Considering this a movie adaptation, 
AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! of like you know a in the genre a beloved entry sure the first lethal weapon anyways yeah this isn't bad no it's pretty good yeah <laughs> um it's you know it's formulaic in 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 ways you know it's a it's a buddy cop show so it's got all those tropes you know there's a few missteps i don't really understand why they opened the show with the backstory of Riggs. That we all know from the movie, you know, that he was, you know, had some bad luck in the past. Interesting choice. Didn't really work for me. But the rest of the episode was pretty good for a network uh, cop, uh, you know, dramedy or whatever they were going for. Yeah. Uh, The leads are good. Yep. It's not too slavish to the movie, even though for the pilot, they obviously took a lot of beats from the first movie. Um, You know, they did obviously have to slip in a you know, I'm too old for this shit thing, but they managed to do it in probably the least obtrusive way possible. Yeah, it was kind of, it was pretty winky. I thought that was good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not bad. I mean, that's not usually my jam, that sort of show. Uh, I you know. enjoyed the leads a lot. I think it has potential. Yeah. Surprising. I, I was tweeting with past guest, past and future guest of the show, Eve Beatty, while it was on, because she had uh, been subjected to the an extended promo of it during the finale of Empire, which she covers for us at Previously.TV. She was complaining about the casting of Clayne Crawford as Riggs, but I said, he's kind of the best thing about yeah. it, and I stand by that. Clayne Crawford is... Um, Teddy, right, on Rectify? Is that his character Yes, name? Ted Jr. He is excellent on that. He's also, um, like, he tended to show up on WB shows as, like, a one-off oh, yeah, jackass. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, he was in um, Inca Mummy Girl on Buffy. Oh, um, wow. He is great. Yep. I would put him in everything. I'm glad to hear that this is good because mm-hmm. I think that he should be a big star and I hope that he that happens for him with this. Yeah, John Ramos will have a New York, uh, New York, a new show fact sheet uh, closer to the premiere. But yeah, I I, uh, I recommend that you check it out. It's even if you were doubtful about it, it, I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and the other thing I want to quickly mention is that we completed our watch of Occupied, the oh, Norwegian yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV show about Russia coming in and uh, laying down stakes to 
make more oil. Um, pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it had some bonkers moments. It was uh, well done in on the in the political realm and the sort of the uh, Secret Service stuff was interesting. But I have to say, dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I am not a crackpot. But if one of your plot lines involves a recording, a de- you know, of, <laughs> of, of a demand that some organization or kidnapper or something made, please, for the love of God, stop noticing church bells or ship horns <laughs> in the background of said audio yeah. recording. So That'll corny. give away within a half a kilometer radius yeah. where that recording was made. Uh, I mean, I was saying to Tara, who's the first person that ever wrote that in? And does he get like residuals from this from this? Because it is in so many things from yeah. like stupid little shows all the way up to like blockbusters like The Fugitive. Like yeah. they stick this in yep. and enough is enough. Like if nothing else, if the terrorists live in the same world we live in where this has happened on TV and movies so much, I think they would be aware of it. It's like, <laughs> hey. Uh, you know, <laughs> Boris, can you press pause? We're going to re-record that. I'm pretty sure I heard the five bell blast <laughs> from that passing freighter. And you yeah. know what that means? They're going to be on us in two minutes. So right. yeah, uh, good show. But that one was just like, come on, guys, you're doing so well, so well. And then you blew it with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, everybody, that weirdo backward music means one thing. It is time for a no knack submission. Yes, it's the evil goateed twin of the canon. What's the worst, crappiest episode of a show? What deserves our poo pooness? Scorn would also work. Yeah, but a little poo pooness. <laughs> okay. uh, of an, an otherwise good show that had just a really crappy moment with this episode. And here to nominate one is Sarah Hope. So I'd like to submit for the Nonak the first episode of season two of Friday Night Lights, <laughs> Last Days of Summer. Um, it is the crappiest moment of the season and it sets up lots of other crappy moments, um, throughout the rest of that season. Um, so just for context, at the end of season one, we see the culmination of all of the Dylan Panthers hard work as they win the state championship. Yay. Um, the season finale is full of great Friday night lightsy moments. Um, Tyra seems to be moving on after her assault. She becomes friends with Landry finally and um, finds common ground with Lila, who also seems to have grown up a little bit. And that moment between them um, outside the car is great. Um, Lila throws out her cheerleading uniform and is going to turn over a new leaf. Um, Mrs. Coach tells Coach that she's pregnant and they're both super happy about that. Coach accepts his dream job at TMU, and despite the stress and sadness over leaving the team, he transformed in Dylan. He's super happy about that, too. Um, Tammy and Coach are in a great place at the end of the season. Everyone seems to be in a great place. We, as the viewers, were in a great place, having just finished one of the best seasons of television ever. Mm-hmm. Um and Coach's pep talk at the end of the state championships, I think, encapsulates the hope wrapped up in those final moments. When Jason Street went down the first game of the season, Everybody wrote us off. Everybody. And yet here we are at the championship game. 40,000 people out there have also written us off. 
There are few out there who do still believe in you. Few'll never give up on you. You go back out on the field, those are the people I want in your minds. Those are the people I want in your hearts. Every man at some point in his life is going to lose a battle. He's going to fight and he's going to lose. But what makes him a man is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. This game is not over. This battle is not over. So let's hear it one more time. Together. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go! Yeah, don't lose yourself, Friday Night Lights. This game is not over. <laughs> be, be a man. Uh, don't lose your battles. Um, but alas, then came last days of summer. So let's start. I have lots of beefs with this episode, but let's start with Julie Taylor. Um, the season episodes open, uh, it opens with her lifeguarding at the town pool. And it's been like eight months since state. And she and Matt Saracen were thrilled to learn that, that she wouldn't have to leave Dylan and they could stay together. And in season two, she's still dating Matt, but she's more interested in this handsome coworker who for some reason, everyone calls the Swede. Why the Swede? He doesn't have a Swedish accent. He doesn't even appear to be out of town, from out of town. Uh, where would that nickname even come from? It makes no sense. Um, anyway, Julie's relationship with Matt is stagnating, which is a totally normal thing that happens in teenage relationships. The scene between her and her dad when he takes her, when he tells her it's okay to break up with Matt and no one's going to love her any less, that's a good story. Uh, why couldn't we just leave the Swede right at that bar and not have her go back to pursuing him ever again? Um, but instead, it sets up a whole season of pointless drama for Julie and Matt, and I hate it. Um, next, there's Lila Garrity. Um, full disclosure, I never really liked Lila. Uh, she grew on me the last couple of seasons, but meh. Um, she became a born-again Christian, which, good for her, seems legit, um, seems right for her. Um but sadly, that didn't make her lose her cattiness or air of superiority. <laughs> In fact, uh, Jesus seems to be like a weird, mean little hype man sitting on her shoulder. In this episode, um, she's really mean to Tim. Um, he sees her putting flyers on cars and um, kind of hits on her, but kind of just says hello. And she get, throws her love of Jesus in his face and is just really rude. Um and I mean, I know she's frustrated with him and her dad and Jason and all the men in her life. But I mean, girl, get over it. Um, it's been like eight months. But um, the worst part is at the dinner table with her mom's new boyfriend um, when she decides to say grace. Are we forgetting something? Uh, no, no. Um, of course. <sighs> Thank you, Lord, for this food that we are about to receive and for your wisdom, Lord. I pray that you will guide me and everyone at this table to help respect you and make good choices. For example, to not take advantage of the vulnerability of a recently separated but not yet divorced woman. And in turn, to give others at the table the strength to remember that a mother of three should not be wearing skinny jeans. Amen. Bon appetit. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst Lila moment. Um, there's lots of bad Lila moments too. Um, 
The third beef I have with this episode has to do with Coach and Mrs. Coach. Um, Tammy gives birth to baby Gracie in this episode, and Eric makes it home from Austin just at the last moments of the birth, and it's a beautiful moment between them, and it seems like this distance thing is going okay, um, because just like Tammy said at the end of season one, their relationship is strong enough to handle this. But after they take Gracie home, Eric learns that he has to return to Austin early. Tammy is less than pleased, and the exchange that they have is, I still think, one of the hardest scenes to watch in the entire series. The fact of the matter is, I don't have a choice. I mean, it's... it's you know, it's what I do. I'm, I, I can't go, and I can't... I can't do this thing half-ass. I do it half-ass, it doesn't help anyone. And I can't. I mean, I can't. You know? Mm-hmm. I really need you to talk. Oh, it just makes me so sad. Um, their their marital problems continue into the season with Eric being nasty jealous and Tammy resenting his absence. Um, but their relationship is one of the best parts of Friday Night Lights um, and how wonderful it is and how nuanced it is. Um, it's, and it's one of the most realistic marriages portrayed on television. And I'm not saying I didn't ever want to see them have problems, but the conflict in this episode seems so manufactured because we thought that they were going to be fine and they seemed fine. Their relationship is stronger than this. And the lack of communication, those long silences between them, it's just so uncharacteristic of them, especially Tammy. Um, and it's just, it's awful. Um, and then finally, there's the elephant in the room. Um, the worst part of this episode. The worst plot twist ever, maybe. Um, Tyra's assaulter returns and starts stalking her. And Landry kills him. Um, he, the stalker almost runs her off the road, um, and she turns into the police station to shake him off. Why she didn't then get out of her car and go into the police station and report that someone was stalking her, I don't know. Um, you could reasonably argue that she thought she would be slut shamed or that she, part of her felt ashamed by the whole ordeal. And that's totally legit. That could have been it. Um, but it seemed like an opportunity missed for the sake of the drama. Um, and this show is, is better than that, I think. Um, Landry embraces his role as her knight in shining armor and they've become close. The two outsiders kind of banding together, even though, um, he's clearly friend zoned and does not realize it. Um, then one night they're watching a movie at her house and decide to go get some snacks. And finally, they both realize that there's something great between them. They're all cutesy and smiley when they get there and it's great. 
Tyra waits outside while Landry goes into the store, and then behind her, she hears a voice. How's the movie? Man, if I was on that couch with you, you know, tell them what I would have done. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? Are you hanging out with a loser? Huh? You to have us some fun? Back for you. You know what I was just thinking? <laughs> you know what this beautiful, realistic coming-of-age story needs? A murder and cover-up plot. <laughs> so they, they put the guy in the car, and they try to take him to the hospital, but he stops breathing. So then they drive to this bridge, and Landry tries to call his dad, who is a cop and is a good person to call. But again, Tyra shuts down the logical option. Don't get me wrong. I love Tyra, but they're both being really stupid here. The camera pans down over the ravine below the bridge where they've stopped, and they both kind of look over the edge, and then their eyes meet, and Tyra's like, what else are we going to do? What else are you going to do? I don't know. Call the fucking cops? <laughs> no, you should, you, should, you should totally dump his body in the river instead. That's a solid plan. Um, it's just a bewildering turn of events and totally ruins Landry and Tyra the entire season. They, they struggle with this forever, um, it seems, and I just don't buy that they would be that stupid. And just like the coach and Mrs. Coach marital stuff, it just feels entirely contrived. And then because the story is contrived, it makes the whole show's normal style, the, the really great, unique, dramatic style seem contrived for those episodes throughout the season. So granted, season two aired during the writer's strike and a lot of TV suffered that year, but and they only filmed 15 of the 22 planned episodes. But really, for them, it doesn't count as an excuse. Maybe they would have done better if they had full t- a full season to flesh these things out and they could have done some other stuff with them. But they did just fine with shorter seasons for the remainder of the series. So they didn't switch to non-union writers. They didn't lose their key people. There really is no excuse for what happened here. And thus, I submit season two, episode one of Friday Night Lights to the no-neck. Uh, wow. Excellent submission. As yeah. soon as you, you wow. emailed us... <laughs> when you emailed us that this was your pick Sarah and I both were like yep so spoiler <laughs> alert I, I like your chances but I'm just want to uh, before I get into it mention one storyline that you didn't mention which is um, the mean coach that replaced coach Taylor and he has a scene it's Chris Mulkey from I think Twin Peaks but anyway he has a scene oh, yeah. with um, with Jason where Jason basically tries to tell him like a better way to deal with Tim Riggins because this new coach is so abusive like Tim has threatened to quit and the coach 
really talks down to him and is like, you can keep showing up as a symbol of the team or whatever, but I don't need to listen to you. Where it's like, it would have been so much more interesting if given how the coach Taylor stuff ends up shaking out as we all probably predicted that it would um if this other coach wasn't such a like mustache twirling baddie like if they're we get it it's a it's a mean guy he's not coach taylor everyone is suffering under him like noted but if he were someone who was more in the coach taylor mold it would have been much more interesting you know the conflict between the blah 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 doesn't it didn't happen that way it, that was a dumb a dumb another dumb addition to this season which to me just i don't think it was the writer's strike so much as like they just got noted probably so much that someone there was like, we need to make this more dramatic. Someone at NBC was like, we need to make this more WB-ish, throw in a bunch of these cheap storylines that would have made sense on another show, maybe, but not this one where it's like, as you say, it's like, it's it's a total betrayal of everything that had come before. Julian, Matt, I agree with you that relationships getting stagnant is something that happens in high school, but not when you're dating Matt Saracen, Julie, you stupid idiot. Thank you. Oh my god! I just don't. There was she would not have gone for the Swede over no, Matt. No, no one would except Julie, <laughs> the stupid idiot. But like, yeah, Ugh. that was dumb. Um, mothers of three totally can wear skinny jeans. So fuck you, Lila. <laughs> Maybe stop body yeah. shaming people when your mother has a perfectly fine figure. And even if she didn't, it's none of your business. Um, the whole thing with Coach and Mrs. Coach and the baby. Like seriously, this this college team. I have to think would have a whole shitload of coaches running it like that the the idea that they would be like no you have to come back now even though your baby is 3 days old seems like a really absurd storyline to me and even if they did take vacation like this is such a non story to me i i know that us um, parental leave is much more draconian than what I'm used to in my beloved homeland of Canada, but still, this seems crazy to me. And anytime anyone makes Tammy Taylor cry is horrible, but also <laughs> the idea that he wouldn't tell her this and she would be like, fuck that, you're quitting this job, do not leave me with this brand new baby, is not the Tammy Taylor I know. Um, and finally, the detail that Landry is a cop's son really makes that whole thing so much dumber. Like, if, if this had happened to Tim Riggins, I could almost see him doing something that's stupid and reckless, because that's what he does. But that Landry would fall under Tyra's dumb logic and go along with her, we're just going to cover it up shit, is terrible. <laughs> it makes this whole season, you're so right. So many of the storylines of this episode continue to... To be shitty for the whole rest of the season even though the show is still mostly very good this is a no question the worst episode of the series sarah debunting take over from here um the whole like the idea that there's a world in which julie could take this attitude with either of her parents <gasps> never mind both of them one of oh, them has yeah. just pushed another human out of her vagina and not be murdered by everyone like that's a murder that you could get away with because she's such a coos from the get and then she's like you can't just leave for eight months and then start parenting and then she like flounces off i'll see you at 11 30 like um yeah in church for your fucking funeral is the response <laughs> i would have gotten for my parents correctly like are you kidding she's such an asshole yeah and she like that character i think was um was not I don't think the actress is as good 
as some. Um, I don't think she was helped by writing that often made her a bitch, like for no reason and not realistically given that these are her parents. So there, there's a bunch of teenagers that needed to be punted into next week. Lila Garrity. Um, and we're supposed to take her side because this new boyfriend had the temerity to serve tofu in Texas, whatever. <laughs> Some whole subplot going on with like buddy day drinking in his den. Like I don't even, or he's at the dealership and then there's a whole scuffle. Um, yeah, it's funny because we saw that this was the episode that had been submitted for the Nonak, And I sort of forgot that first of all, this whole like Tyra, Landry murder plot kicked off in the season premiere and but also that like there was all this other contrived bullshit like since when is this how high school relationships go like yeah you might be stagnating quote unquote but you're not having like meep and deaningfuls with your dad all I'm 16 there has to be more than this like (laughs) yeah writing class that'd be good um Saracen and Coach, like there's some good moments in this in this episode. Like Saracen and Coach's interactions are yeah. always hilarious to me. Yep. Um, Riggins and Lila still have good chemistry, even if they like are glaring at each other and she's being a bitch. Um, but it just makes everything that's bad about the episode seem so much worse. And then they never, like, they never quite turn it around sarah hope was right like this it started from this bad place of as tara said they're being noted to death about stuff and making it more like less interior and more straight ahead drama and that was not a good fit for this show and it showed and the fact that this is where that whole lost season that like Alan Seppenwall and many other people refuse to even acknowledge that that's where all this started. Like yep. that's an excellent, that's excellent grounds for um, no knackery. Yep. Dave Cole. Yeah. You know, this is sort of like if you ever, you know, you talk to somebody and you're talking about the first president and they say, Oh yeah, I really like JFK. And you're like, what the fuck? And then you can never like really be friends with that person again. That's like what this episode sort of is. It was so dumb. <laughs> and so out of character and so like I just can't deal with it that it like threatened to ruin everything they came after because you know those two characters that just murdered this stalker guy you're like well how 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 do they ever realistically bounce back on the show <laughs> Oh they don't realistically <laughs> I know but I'm saying like but then that that runs the risk of cascading towards the whole enterprise right Yeah So you know much like our you know, first president was JFK friend. It's just like, I don't know if I can hang out with this anymore. That's the risk they ran with this episode. And that's why it's no neck worthy. That yep. is my, yep. So I'm going to say, yeah, no neck, mm-hmm. Sarah. Oh yeah. No neck. Right. Absolutely. No neck. Ha <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Father. Friday Night Lights, Season 2, Episode 1 of The Last Days of Summer. You are hereby inducted into the Nonak. Americans love a winner. And will not tolerate nope. it. It is time for winner and loser of the week. Tara, who's our winner? That Nonak music. Every time I think, like, it's not going to work on me this time. And then they get to that final, <laughs> the final build, and there it is. All right. Um, winner of the week is Empire because uh, it was just announced that um, they've cast in the role of the mother to Tay Diggs, who is, I'm reading from Vulture, joining the cast this season as a prominent New York politician and a new love interest for cookies, playing his mother felicia rashad oh shit she's gonna be feuding with taraji p henson the thing i never knew i wanted until i knew it was coming hooray for empire i'm i was dubious about how the season was gonna go but this is definitely shoring up uh and answering some of my concerns sarah d bunting um our loser this week um and really every week (laughs) I watch Celebrity Rehab and Sober House, so I'm speaking with a position of uh, from a position of said authority. <laughs> Dr. Drew yeah. um, made some idiotic comments about Hillary's health, like we needed any more of those. And then his show got sacked at HLN. Um, oh. Apparently, without Nancy Grace as a lead-in, it was nowhere. And he's being replaced on the schedule by Ashley Banfield something-something sure. rather. So. Look out, VH1ers. He's back. And <laughs> since Dwight Gooden is allegedly back on drugs, Ooh. we might be getting celebrity rehab back, too. Who knows? Oh, boy. Uh, speaking about being back on drugs, you know what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> time to smoke a bowl? It's close. Game it's game time, man. Okay, this is the third game time of the season. Tara and Sarah are tied up top with one point apiece. Value guests still looking to get on the board. Remember, the season ends when somebody gets five points. Today we are playing Tagline You're It from Kelly H., who earns herself an extra credit. Redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of her choosing. In Tagline You're It. I will give you the tagline used for a TV show. You tell me the show. There are three rounds with a total of 60 questions. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's see who's going to go first. We will start with Tara. All right. So we're going to go Tara, mm-hmm. Sarah Hope, Sarah Bunting is our order. All right. Yes. Are we ready yes, to play? Sure. Tagline. You're it. All right, Tara Ariana, we begin round one with you. All the shows in round one have one tagline only listed in IMDb. Okay. I'll give you that tagline and the year the show debuted. You tell me the show, all right? Yep. A love story in reverse, 2005. Love story in reverse in 2005. I do not know. That would be How I Met Your Mother. Of course. Sarah Hope, a town where everyone knows everyone and nothing is what it seems, 1990. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to be so bad at this. I have no idea. Is it Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks, uh, indeed. I was going to guess that. I should just gone for you it. You should have guessed it. Yeah. No, no, you don't lose points. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, Sarah Bunting, being Gal Friday at a TV station, lands beautiful Mary in hilarious jams seven days a week. <laughs> the Mary Tyler Moore Show. That is our nice. first point of the game. Back to Tara. Yep. Born to Folk. F-O-L-K. Do I get a year? Oh, yeah. Nine, uh, oh, seven. Flight of the Concords. Yes, correct. Sarah Hope, 50,000 watts of pure comedy, 1995. Uh, no idea. News radio. News radio. Sarah Bunting. Yep. Forget about home. There's no place like a co-ed dorm, 2001. What? Uh, uh, undeclared? Nice! Correct. Tara Ariano. Yep. Four boys, one fucked up town. What? <laughs> really? Wow. 97. One fucked up town? Yeah. Like fucked up, not effed up? Well, it's got F star star K E D, but that might just be for IMDb. Four boys, one fucked up town, 1997. I don't know. Uh, South Park, Tara. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Of course. Sarah Hope, just west of Weird, 2012. Um, just geez, west of I don't weird. know. Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls. Sarah Bunting, oh. life begins when the world doesn't end, 2015. Life begins when the world doesn't end. Yep. Uh, Terra Nova. <laughs> That's unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, oh sure. Of course it is. Yes. Like with boys, you have to pretend you don't notice them noticing you. 94. Like with boys, you have to pretend you don't notice them noticing you. 94. That is my so-called life. Ugh. Sarah Hope, meet the most spaced out crew in the galaxy, 2002. Uh. Meet the most uh. spaced out crew in the galaxy, 2002. When did Battlestar Galactica start? <laughs> I cannot provide you that information. <laughs> sure, that's my guess. Close. Firefly. Firefly. Oh, God. Oh, space. Indeed. Misery Loves Comedy in 2010, Sarah Bunting. Misery Misery Loves loves Comedy. 2010? 2010. Louie? You are correct. Tara, new stars, new stories, new worlds to explore, 87. Star Trek The Next Generation? You are correct. Wow. Sarah Hope. Space. She's <laughs> about to make the best mistake of her life. 1998. Uh, She's about to make the best mistake of her life. 98. Don't know. Do you know the Sarah? It's a show you like and watch. 98. Felicity? Yep. Yeah. Sarah Bunting, the first late night comedy show with an attention span shorter than yours, 95. Ninety-five. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Um uh, in Living Color? 
Mr. Show. Mr. Show. All right. Here's everybody's last question for round one. Okay. Uh, no, nope, that's not right. Last question for a score break. Here okay. we go. Uh, they're putting comedy to work. 2009. They're putting comedy to work. 2009. I don't know. Better off Ted. Better oh, off Ted. Sure. Sarah Hope. War changes everything. 2010. Additional hint. Not from the U.S. Uh War changes everything. 2010. Really should pay more attention to taglines. That is anybody? No. Downton Abbey. Oh. Yeah. Oh. All right. That was number 17, by the way. Oh, okay. Ready to go. Um, there's Sarah D. Bunting. Bring us into our first score break. Where the truth lies. Dot, dot, dot. 2007. Where the truth lies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh, lie to me? Oh, good guess, though. Good guess. That was a little show called Mad Men. Oh, of course. All right. That was pretty tough. It gets easier, guys. Let's hear the score break. I'm glad it gets easier. All right. Sarah Hope yeah. looking to get on the board. I have two. Sarah D. Bunting has three. All right. Back to it. Tara Ariano. Yep. Sin is in, sweetie. 92. Sweetie? Oh, is this absolutely fabulous? It is. Okay. All right. Sarah Hope, he's a journalist with gravitas, with dignity, with balls. 2005. <laughs> oh, God. Um, journalist, 2005. Uh, he's a journalist with gravitas, with dignity, with balls. Don't know. Colbert Rapport. Colbert <laughs> Rapport. Oh. Sarah Bunting talks slow, thinks fast. 97. Talks slow, thinks fast. 97. Fuck. Uh, well, shit. This is wrong, but Allie McBeal? Daria. Daria. Oh. Tara, yeah. the best friends you can think of. 2004. Um... The best friends you can think of. Oh, coupling. Coupling? Foster's home for imaginary friends. Yeah. That's a good tagline. Sarah Hope, yeah. Seek Answers, 2008. Seek Answers, 2008. Uh. Nope. <laughs> Fringe. Sarah Bunting, Made in Our Image, Out of Our Control, 2015. Can I hear it again, please? Made in our image, out of our control. 2015. Made in our image, out of our control. Uh, uh, Orphan Black. Oh. I guess, though. Humans. Humans. Apparently had not heard of them. Tara. Yep. Stop the presses, exclamation point, 97. The Naked Truth. Just shoot me. No. Sarah Hope, one big, bracket, straight, gay, multicultural, traditional, happy family, 2009. Oh, Modern Family? Yeah! Oh. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, for something! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Sarah Bunting, yeah. there are eight million stories in the Naked City. Here are six. 
82. Uh, here are six. Yep. Um, uh, police squad. Police squad. <laughs> Tara. Yeah. All right. Your last question of the first round. Okay. Science makes sense. Family doesn't. 2013. I don't know. Rick and Morty. Oh. Rick and Morty. Sarah oh. Hope. It's Ooh. about sports. The same way Charlie's Angels was all about law enforcement. 98. Additional clue. This show it was mentioned on this episode already. Sure was. Oh, uh, sports night. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Last question <laughs> of you. this round, Sarah Bunting. They're not a couple. They're a couple of best friends. 98. Will and Grace? You are correct. (laughs) Well, the scores have changed a little. Sarah Hope is on the board with two. I have three. Sarah D. Bunting leads us with four. Very close game. All right. Very nice. All right. Here is round two. Each of these in round two have uh, two taglines. I'll read you the first one. Yep. You can get two points. Yep. If you need a hint, I'll give you the second tagline and the year, okay? Gotcha. I'm going to let you Ooh, guess okay. each time. Okay. All right? Yep. So, back to Tara. Yep. The future is here. Future is here. You may guess and still get on your second hint. Okay, Terra Nova. No. <laughs> That's a stupid guess, but Oops. I just wanted to say something. Okay. <laughs> okay. Second tagline <laughs> and the year. Oh, so many clips are going. I'm My apologies. Okay. 1,000 years in the making, 1999. Futurama. You are correct. That is good for one point. Sarah Hope, no law can make it respectable. Uh, don't know. A hell of a place to make your fortune, 2004. <laughs> uh, is it Deadwood? It is Deadwood. Nice. That's good for one point. Sarah Bunting, the trip of a lifetime. The trip of a lifetime. Yep. Dead like me. Mm. <laughs> I like that guess. All of time and space. Follow me. 2005. Oh. All of time and space. Farscape. I was going to say, it's a show you hate, but... Doctor Who. (laughs) Back to Tara. Yes. Family redefined. Uh, Big Love? America's most watched family, 1999. Simpsons? Sarah D. Bunting knows this show. Oh, sure. Sure does. The Sopranos. Sopranos. Sorry, Sarah. Okay. Okay. Uh, For Sarah Hope. (laughs) Lying, cheating, stealing, seduction, betrayal, jealousy, greed, murder. It's just another day at blank. Uh... The first thing that popped in my head was Desperate Housewives, but I don't know. At blank, yeah. no one is innocent. 1992. Oh, God. Um, nope. Don't know. Anybody? No. Sarah? Melrose Rose? Place. Oh. Sarah Bunting. Was it? Yeah. Good job, Sarah. Life's short. Talk fast. 
Life's short. Talk fast. Words to live Kill by. more girls. You are correct. Two points. Nice. Second tagline was best friends first, mother and daughter second. Yep. Tara Ariano. Yes, sir. Polygamy loves company. Is this big love? This is big love, correct. There you go. Uh, for Sarah Hope, every day above ground is a good one. <sighs> Want that second one? Yeah. Everything, everyone, everywhere ends. 2001. Is it not pushing daisies, is it? Good guess. Six feet under? Six feet under, yep. Uh, Sarah Bunting, an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye. E-Y-E or I? What do you think? I'm just asking. Oh, is it an eye yeah, or is it an eye? eye? Like an eyeball. Okay. Okay. Eye for an eye. Um, I can't really think of anything that had a floating eyeball, so I'm going to need a hint. Fight the dead. Fear the living. 2010. Oh, um, The Walking Dead. Yes, sir. One point. But really? Two, 2010? Yeah. Ah. Can you believe it? Tara. Yeah. Two friends, one baby, no clue. Oh, playing house. Two points. <clears throat> Sarah, hope. Life's tough. She's tougher. Uh, Life's tough. She's tougher. Second tagline. Get a clue. 2004. Veronica Mars. Yep. Well Correct. Done. Nice. Bring us into our next score break. Sarah D. Bunting. Don't let the name fool you. Don't let the name fool you. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Hint. His scandal, her story, 2009. His scandal, her story. Oh, the good wife. The nice. good wife. Okay. Sarah Hope has four points. Sarah D. Bunting and I are now tied with 80 each. Okay. And everybody's got about six questions left, I think. Done. So let's get back to it. Same uh, format. Okay. Tara Ariano. Yes. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I actually remember this tagline. I don't know why. Want that second one? Yes. I can be anyone I want to be. 2001. Uh, Dark Angel? Alias. Oh. Alias. Okay. Sarah Hope. Aw, oh, geez. Here we go again. Aw, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> oh, geez. I mean, I don't want to editorialize uh, it, but I can if you want. Aw, oh, geez. Here we go again. Yeah, it's right there. Give me the second one. In the beginning, dot, dot, dot. 2014. Oh, God. 2014. Oh, God. Um, oh, geez. This is like your first non-generationally biased question. <laughs> I know, and it's so... Uh, I'm not going to get it. Ergo? Ergo, yeah. Ergo. No! <laughs> uh, okay. Sarah Bunting, the story is everything. The story... 
story uh-huh. is everything okay. once upon a time. Good guess. In the complex process of determining guilt and innocence, lives often hang in the balance. 1990. <laughs> uh, law and order? That's good for one point. <laughs> Once upon a time. It's oh so God, hard to Sarah. think about that show ever premiering. Yeah. Like, it just feels like it's it always, always been was. here. Yeah. Ariano, yes. every day counts. One night matters. The night of? It's more than just a game, 2006. Friday Night Lights? Yeah. Whoops. Correct. That is correct. That was correct for one point. <laughs> Recently inducted into a NODAC, you know. Sarah Hope, uh-huh. speaking of. The world is waiting. <laughs> go. The oh, world is waiting. waiting. Go. go. Sarah Hope. Go. Uh, I need a year. All right. It's not how far they go, but what happens along the way. 2001. Damn it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, nope. Anybody Still on. It's the Amazing Race, right? It is the Amazing Race, correct. Sarah Bunting, right place, right time, right man. Um, right place, right time, right man. Yes. Uh, arrow? Sparrow? <laughs> Sparrow. <Smarrow. laughs> Either way. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Schmitz, Jimmy Smits goes to Washington 1999. What? Yeah. Jimmy Smiths goes to Washington. Yep. But that might be a tagline for a later season. Maybe. I don't know. I don't. I shouldn't say anything. 1999 is when the show debuted. That's I see. The, that's the hint. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Uh, well, if it's not this, I don't know what it is. So the West Wing? It is the West Wing. Well done. I'll take it. <clears throat> You're inside now, Tara. You're inside now. Herman's head? <laughs> Good guess. <laughs> Life's not a word, it's a sentence. 97. Oh, God. I don't know. Dharma and Greg? What if I give you an additional clue? (laughs) (laughs) Oz? Oz. (laughs) For no points. For no points. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give you one (laughs) point. (laughs) Sarah Hope, what is it about dangerous women? Dangerous women. Yes. What is it about dangerous women? Mm. Want that second one? Yeah. Love is immortal, 1997. <sighs> we got dangerous women and immortal love and the 90s. Yeah, I'm so bad at this. Nope. Anybody? Buffy? Buffy the Vampire Slayer is correct. Ah, yeah. Sarah Bunting, class uncancelled. Class uncancelled? Yep. Community? That's good for two points. Tara Ariano. Yes. Putting realness back to reality. RuPaul's Drag Race. Also good for two points. Nice. Uh, Sarah Hope, outwit, 
Outplay, Outlast. Oh, Survivor. Two Yay. points. Good buddy. <laughs> Everybody's getting the two points. Everybody's got three questions. No, not everybody. This is Sarah's. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen carefully, Sarah Bunting. That is your tagline. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Um, I name that tune. Yeah, not a bad guess. <clears throat> Rules change. The game remains the same. Two thousand two. Listen carefully, and rules change. The game remains the same. Two thousand two. Rules change. The game remains the same. <laughs> Push Nevada. <laughs> well, that's a little uh, unknown show called The Wire. Oh. All right, now everybody's got Sorry. two questions. Wow. Okay. Boldly <laughs> running for president, standing standing proudly for everything. Veep. Veep is correct. Sarah Hope. Change the equation. Oh, um. Uh. Change the equation. Give me the other one. The experiment is out of control. 2008. Oh, Breaking Bad. Nice. Correct. Sarah D. Bunting. Trust no one. Trust X-Files. No one is the X-Files. <laughs> also, the truth is out there. All right. Last question for everybody. Let's get a quick score break. Oh, my God. It's so tense. Sarah Hope has seven. I have 13. Sarah D. Bunting has 14. All right. Here we go, Tara. Yeah. Happiness is a warm audio visual machine. What? And what high school was like for the rest of us. What high school was like for the rest of us, 99. Freaks and geeks. Freaks and geeks for one point. Sarah Hope, you win or you die. This oh also applies to this game, by the way. There are people Burgers. standing outside your house. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and um, I just want to remind you, there are no repeat answers, so this is not The Amazing Race. Okay. Okay. Um, is it Game of Thrones? It is Game of Thrones. Hey! Correct, for two points. Hey, all right. Last question. We're all tied up. All Sarah needs is one point. That's right. For the win. Your first clue is spend time with your friends. Spend time with your friends. Yes. Spend time with your friends. Yep. Friends. Guess what? You just won. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Congratulations. Sarah. Way to go, Sarah. Done in deep. On a final question, no less. Yes, let's get the final scores, please. Nine points for Sarah Hope, 14 points for moi, 16 points for our victress, Sarah DeBunty. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. Uh, we uh, vetoed our regular current show coverage for a floor debate on the first season of The West Wing <laughs> before scanning the blotter for mention of Perfect Murder, Perfect Town. We then went around the dial with stops at Atlanta, Better Things, My Mad Fat Diary, The Night Of, and Lethal Weapon. Sarah successfully pitched us Friday Night Lights, The Last Days of Summer for the Nonac. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Sarah D. Bunting was the winner of this week's tagline game time. Remember. We're listening. 
I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariana, I'll be back for you, Sarah D. Bunting. More like pedants of Penzance. And Sarah Hope. (laughs) Josh. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot Great. You'll denounce these people, Al. You'll do it publicly. And until you do, you can all get your fat asses out of my White House. (laughs) This has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network.